And welcome to another edition of the Locked On College Football Podcast. We are back once again. I am your host, Jordan Reed, alongside my great and always entertaining co-host, Jonah Tools. Jonah, has been a very interesting week, not only in the NFL, but of course, college football. But of course, how's everything going with you? Everything's going good, man. I mean, it's Cowboys bye week. I got a little bit of a break <laughs> this week, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, Monday Night Football against the Giants next week, so I'm ready for that. But you know what I'm ready to get into, Jordan? Pride Sticker Podcast Day. Because I've been waiting to put out my Pride Stickers out since Saturday ended. So let's go right into that segment, man. There's been some really good performances. And it seems like there was some more heroic performances this week than what we've seen in years past. And what I like to say, the cream has definitely rise to the top. And we, we all know there's going to be one Pride Sticker that we agree on. And it's that man child at Ohio State. <laughs> Chase Young is just playing. <laughs> out of his freaking mind right now man and our colleague joe marino came out with a very very interesting article and i think his comparison was spot on and that we haven't seen a defensive player dominate college football like this since adama can sue in 2009 where he finished the top very close to the top of the heisman trophy race and we're gonna start to see chase young get some heisman trophy chatter and it's a shame that he had to have this type of performance to even be mentioned with the trophy, but of course we're going to be in agreement with Chase Young. He had four sacks this week in a showdown, so to speak, against Wisconsin, where they ended up blowing them out 38-7 to in a complete and utter domination. But I'm going to go to you first. Who are some other guys that you're going to give out your prize stickers to this week? Yeah, so other than, you know, Chase Young, who's basically the predator, I mean, I got two Big 12 guys. Uh, Tylen Wallace over to Oklahoma State, eight yeah. catches, 131 yards, and a touchdown. And I know some other other players across the nation had more had better box score numbers. Man, I really don't think anyone was more any offensive player, you know, in the Big 12 was more instrumental to their team's victory than this guy. I mean, this guy was able to knife through defenses after the catch as a route runner. I mean, he had a 70-yard touchdown at one point in the game. This is a guy who just consistently week after week gets huge chunks after the catch and he's so smooth and fluid as a route runner. I really think he might be the most underrated wide receiver in this 2020 class considering that no one, absolutely no one, talks about him as a top-five player at his position. Yeah, I think Benjamin Solak is absolutely spot-on, our colleague at the Draft Network, that he gives off some Emmanuel Sanders vibes. So my next guy is same, same conference, different position. On the opposite side, it's cornerback, Jeff Gladney from TCU. Now, I'm interested to get your thoughts on him, because this guy is a freak athlete. He was on Bruce Feldman's freak list to open the season. Um, legit 4-3 speed. But it was his physicality at the catch point that really yeah. caught my eye this week. Because he faced against, you know, mammoth-sized wide receiver Colin Johnson, 6'6", 220-pound guy. And Jeff Gladney, one of the things about him is that, you know, he's a little thin. He's, he's a guy who's not as big as these other corners. So it'll be a really big test team against a guy like Colin Johnson. He really stepped up to the plate. Eight tackles, three pass breakups. I mean, this guy held his own. I think he's making a serious case to be one of the first five cornerbacks drafted next April. I want to get your quick thoughts on that. So I haven't watched this film since this summer, and he was a name that was really passed along to me right. uh, by one of our colleagues at the Draft Network. Uh, Benjamin Solak actually put me on him uh, yeah. this summer, and I checked him out, and he's one of those guys that makes you sit up in your seat, and you're not really expecting a whole bunch going into the film session with him. But as you notice, he has that long and lanky frame that you're looking for, but it was his ball skills that really impressed me the most, and that's really what it stuck out last week that you're speaking of against Texas where he competed against Colin Johnson, a guy who really 
his stock really is make or break at the catch point. I think that's one of his strong suits as far as his game and where he does win in. And he competed at the catch point a whole bunch with Colin Johnson. As you mentioned, he had those two interceptions as well. So I think his ball skills are something that really stuck out to me. But as far as fluidity, I think that was something that really surprised me, especially considering that's always a huge concern with these taller corners. You always want to know how well and how oily their hips are and just how well they can move and flip and change directions. And that's one of the biggest areas that surprised me about Gladney. And I, I got to tell you right now, man, his physicality coming downhill is the most surprising part of his game. As you look at him, yeah. so eye test, you wouldn't think that guy would be the first guy up in run support, right? You think he's, with all these corners, think they're divas and they would rather you know, play the ball, make plays. Gladney, man, is like a safety. He comes right. up, he wants to hit you. And to me, with his, when he has 4-3 speed, with how fluid he is in man coverage, his ball skills, man, the, really the only thing I really want to struggle with him on tape is his technique at the line of scrimmage. I yeah. think he's a little impatient. I think he has a, some kinks to work out. But, man, there's really nothing that tells me that he can't be a top five corner in this class. I mean, you got guys like Okuda, a guy we'll probably discuss later, and Trayvon Diggs, um, Sean Wade. But other than that, man, I think Gladney really has the complete package, the size, the traits, the production. I'm all in on Jeff Gladney, man. I think he's the real deal. And I'm, I'm just really intrigued by him coming into next spring. And the last guy for my pride sticker is a flex option, and that's Chaz Surratt, linebacker, North Carolina. This guy, not only did he have 12 tackles and a sack against Duke, arch rival, but he also had the game-winning interception. And this guy, he doesn't look like your traditional linebacker, but he fits exactly what the NFL is looking for in a space defender at the second level. And to me, his two biggest strengths are his coverage ability and his blitzing efficiency. And to me, he's a, he's a recipe for a day-two chess piece. And we all talk about his brother, Sage Surratt, a virus from Wake Forest looks a little bit like Allen Robinson. But to me, Chaz Surratt has really improved his draft stock coming into this year. I don't think anyone was talking about him. They're more talking about his brother. But I think he's really putting himself on the scene individually right now. And I love that you mentioned Surratt just because his brother, Sage, at Wake Forest is getting a lot of love. But he's made the position switch over from quarterback. And I think with him being a former quarterback, it's helped him transition a bit much more easier just because he knows exactly what's going on on defenses. And then on the flip side of that, he knows how to attack an offense and some weaknesses that are associated with it. So you're seeing him use that awareness of concepts that offenses are trying to run. And he's attacking it downhill. I think that's one of the biggest surprises that I've noticed with him is how physical he is. And that was one of the biggest questions always you have about a guy making a positional change, especially coming from quarterback, is just how physical he is going to be. But you see him in his run fits. You see how physical he is as a blitzer. And he's getting home a lot with those blitz fits, as you mentioned. So definitely keep an eye on Chaz Surratt. And I'm really interested in his stock going forward just because I don't know how well he is going to test. So I think that's going to be one of the more interesting parts of his evaluation. Did you have anybody else that you want to give a prize sticker out to? Uh, no, I mean, other than the top guys, I mean, you're talking about guys like Derek Brown, who just continues to look like a monster. Yeah. I mean, J.K. Dobbins, I'm sure we'll get to him in our game recaps. He looked like the real deal. Uh, and then, obviously, we talk about Chase Young. I mean, four sacks. I mean, what do you expect? This guy is, this guy is going to be, like you said, in, in top of the show. He's going to be the, probably the most likely Heisman on the defensive side of the ball since we've seen since Manti Teo and Ndamukong Sue. So those are my other guys. And then there's a guy I want to get to in the game recap style. I'll, I'll save for that. But other than those three guys, man, I, I, I want to get to your pride stickers, man. I, I want to discuss these guys because you always have some curveballs for me here. 
<laughs> of course. But before we get to mine, I want to remind the, our listeners about Indochino. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. Start your style upgrade now at $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering the code LOCKEDON at checkout. Again, that's Indochino. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com. And that's entering the promo code LOCKEDON at checkout. Make sure you go and do that immediately. So moving on to my prize stickers, I'm going to, of course, throw you for a bit of a loop. And maybe some guys that you might not have heard of or might not have had a very close eye on. So the first one, I'm going to the Pac-12. And I know you're probably like, oh, man, <laughs> who stays up and watches the Pac-12? Listen, Wait. I do. I watch the I do. Pac-12. I love staying Listen, up. Man, I love staying hey, up. you're not going to stump me. I'm going to be able to get this guy. You, you know, I work the late night shift, so I always get to see the Utah States and Oregons and Washington State. And that's yes, the game sir. that I really like the most. This weekend, and the guy who stuck out was C.J. Verdell, the running back for yes. Oregon. He has some juice, man, and I did not expect him to come out and play this well. 23 carries, 257 yards, and three touchdowns. Talking about taking over a game. He led the Ducks to victory, and Justin Herbert just turned around and gave it to him. And he, it, was, it, was, it was his show during this game, and everybody likes to talk about Herbert, and now he hasn't really had the ability to take over a certain game this year, but he really hasn't had to just because of how well Verdell has played this year, and he looked so explosive in this game, and it just wasn't Oregon's offensive line clearing these huge running lanes for him. He was juking guys out of their shoes, and he was creating running lanes for himself, making guys miss on the second and third level, and he, even though he's a redshirt sophomore, I definitely have a star beside his name going forward just because he wasn't a guy I had or paid very much attention to coming into the year just because he wasn't a notable name for the most part. But I definitely have a close eye on him going forward. Have you watched much of Verdell so far this year? Yes, I am so glad someone finally talks about him because, you know, I know this is lofty praise, but he gives me a lot of LaShawn McCoy vibes with how shifty he is in the open field, man. I got to tell you, this guy is so hard to bring down the open field. And I love that he has a combination of quickness and then, you know, breakaway speed. He's really, you know, anytime he gets the ball, it, it, it's it's a highlight reel. And I love, I, I just love his game. And I, he's probably not going to declare this year because of how stacked this running back class is probably going to be. But at the same time, man, I, I, I cannot wait till until Verdell is in the draft season and into the draft cycle because his tape is going to be so fun to go back and study. I definitely agree with that. So, I have an all-running back lineup, and I just now noticed that for my prize. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to LSU and Auburn, and my next guy is Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. He surprisingly had a huge impact in this game. 26 carries, 136 yards, and a touchdown. And every time I was watching him in this game, he reminded me so much of Doug Martin. Just the, how low his stature is, how thick his build is. And just how well compact his body is. He's very explosive. But he's a guy that's not going to impress you overall with a whole bunch of his traits. But right. he's just steady, as I like to call it. And, he, of course, he's not going to end up being a high pick like Doug Martin was. But he's a guy that could go late day two or early day three. Or even mid day three at some point. But he could end up being a middle of the road type of starter that could be that 1B type of back in a committee that could end up being very productive. So I'm interested in getting your thoughts on Clyde Hilaire. Clyde Hilaire. Or Clyde Edwards Hill there, I should say. <laughs> it's a mouthful, <laughs> Long man, name man. there. But, Long know, name I'm glad there. you brought up Doug Martin because that's kind of like how I see him too. He's kind of low, built to the ground, thick kind of guy. But he doesn't really have those traits that kind of really stand out, I guess. 
He's not really the fastest guy. He doesn't have the most juice. Um, but I think he could be. I think he'd be a reliable player that you can stick into the you know the depth of your backfield and roll out into the season. I think he's a reliable pass protector. I think he can catch the ball out of the backfield. Um, he's smart guy out of the backfield, efficient runner, decisive. Um, I, I just don't think he's going to have one of those traits that puts him into the first you know, top 100 picks or so. But he's a guy that I could see staying around the league for a long time just because of how, I think, dependable he's going to be. So I, I, I like you mentioning him here. I don't think he's going to be you know, this high draft pick, but I, I think he'll stick around the league for a long time. Yep, I'm right there with you. And then rounding out my prize stickers is Travis Etienne, the running back from Clemson. And he hasn't got a lot of love this year for whatever reason, just because Clemson hasn't been playing well here recently, ever since the Carolina debacle where they probably should have lost that game and ended up winning it on the last second. He ended up with 16 carries for 109 yards and three touchdowns. But that explosion that he showed Last year was definitely evident in this game, and they ended up blowing out Boston College 59-7. to So it was a convincing win for Clemson. And like I said, he hasn't had a huge year like he was having last year. And I believe he had a huge game against Georgia Tech in week one. But he's been kind of, I would say, I don't want to say disappointing, but he's just been kind of steady for the most part. And he hasn't right. had those standout runs like he had a year ago, some of those explosive 20-plus yard runs like we saw from here from him a year ago. But I'm a big Travis ATN fan, even though I do have some questions about just how well-rounded he can be as far as a receiver out of the backfield. I think that's the biggest question that he still has to answer to this point. And I think that's probably going to drop him to being a second-round prospect uh, somewhere in that range. That's going to keep him out of the first round just because of the question marks about his receiving abilities out of the backfield. But as far as an explosive option and then what he can bring to an offense, I think he's the complete package as far as a running threat. So, and that's what we saw in this game against Boston College. But what's your overall thoughts on ATN? Man, I like him, dude. I, I think he's going to be a stud. And my comparison for him, you know, I know people are going to say, oh, that's a little too high. Chris Johnson, man. I, I haven't seen a guy accelerate yeah. out of the blocks like Travis ATN since Chris Johnson. I mean, this guy really truly has that one-play breakaway speed that can change a game. And I think it, you talk about his ability to catch out of the backfield. I think he has a lot more upside in that ability and that part of the game that he's, that he's showing so far at the college level. And I think he's developed so much over the years in terms of his processing in the backfield, becoming much more patient and decisive as a runner. I think he's going to be a problem at the next level. And I think he's still deserving of top three running back status in the 2020 NFL draft class. I'm with you, and somebody's going to end up taking him early. I think even if it's not the first round, there's no way he lasts outside of the top 45 picks. I think that's a fair range for him just because You, you, of... you know what's an interesting landing spot for him? And I, I, I put this up in my latest mock draft, which uh, dropped earlier this month. You're going to say the Kansas Can City. The Kansas <laughs> You're City You're going to say Chiefs Kansas City. <laughs> because how much speed do you want on that offense? And you got Nicole Hardman, Tyree Hill, yes. Pat Mahomes is a touchdown on any given play. I mean – Dude, that offense, that offense would be so hard to stop. I mean, that means every given play, run the ball, pass the ball, kick the ball, whatever it is, that's a touchdown waiting to happen, man. I, I tell you, that would be a fun landing spot for him. You know, you know how it is. The NFL drafts an inexact science because some yeah. players go to bad fits and bad, bad players come out of college, go to good fits, and they look good in the NFL. So, I mean, if ETN goes to the right team, man, he could be a bona fide superstar. I'm with you, and – Teams should have nightmares, and this is this is highly unlikely to happen. But if Henry <laughs> Ruggs and Travis Etienne somehow end up on the Chiefs, 
Oh my gosh. <laughs> why, why, are you, why are you even contemplating this? The NFL Good might luck. ban this podcast. <laughs> Good luck defending the speed on that offense. There's just there's no type of scheme you could come up to scheme up against it to stop that offense, especially if you somehow add Henry Ruggs and then add in Travis Etienne as well. So we're talking about in a track meet. And a team that is could be classified as a track team, that definitely would be it with Miko Hardman, Tyreek Hill, and then imagine adding Henry Ruggs and Travis Etienne to it as well. But we're talking about we're, we're gonna get we're gonna get one star <laughs> reviews from the rest of the AFC West listeners, man. Oh, absolutely. They do not want to listen to it. They're like, man, F that. I don't want to hear Travis Etienne and Henry Ruggs going to the Chiefs. <laughs> right. But I apologize, Bronco fans. I know you guys are having a very rough week, especially after the Joe Flacco. Phantom back injury, <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> injury. I guess he got hurt walking away from the podium after his, <laughs> after his questionable comments about the offensive aggression. But that's something we'll get into another day. I want to get into some of these game recaps, and of course, we have to start at the top with the team that I that I classify as the best team in the country, right. and that's Ohio State and Wisconsin. This matchup was circled as the game of the week for a lot of people. And it ended up being the opposite of that. I thought Ohio State dominated this game from start to finish, even though Wisconsin had their chances in spurts. But it just felt like Ohio State was always in control of this game. Justin Fields, he didn't have his best day at the office, but I thought he still showed positive flashes. And I think the world of him, and that's a guy we will talk about probably more uh, following the 2020 draft just because he isn't eligible, just because he is a sophomore. But Chase Young, of course, we already talked about him, and there were some other guys that shined in this game as well. So I want to get your overall thoughts on Wisconsin's dominating victory, or excuse me, Ohio State's dominating victory over Wisconsin. Yeah, I mean, like I talked about earlier, J.K. Dobbins looked awesome in this game. I mean, it was really the battle between J.K. Dobbins and Jonathan Taylor. It's kind of been a rivalry brewing the last couple of years. Um, I mean, he's the real deal. I mean, you talk about a resurgence from last year to this year about how Kenneth Murray really has been one of the most improved players from 2018-2019. I think Dobbins has a case to be made that he's the offensive version of Kenneth Murray, right? So much improved from 2018-2019. And I think one of those things is his value in the receiving game starting to pop up more. I mean, you saw here, uh, to me, that will help his status the most with scouts next spring when they watch his game tape back over, that he can be a true three-down runner to the next level. He has explosion. He has, uh, he's really reliable in the passing game now. I think he's a guy that'll be one of the first five running backs drafted just based on his sole talent alone. And now he's starting to put that production in place as well. But I want in the, in this, in the midst of this blowout victory, I don't want us to forget about some Wisconsin stars in this game. Zach bond, the outside linebacker for the yes. Badgers looked incredible. And we talk about guys like these situational pass rushers, like Hassan Reddick coming out of temple a couple of years ago, Uchenna Nwosu coming out of USC a couple of years ago. These are all guys that went, relatively early i mean so the nfl values these kind of chess piece kind of guys and bond looks so disruptive i mean this guy had sacks this guy was creating pressure on you know nearly every snap blitzing i like this guy a lot i think he's a prime day two guy similar to nuosu and Reddick as we've seen in years past yeah and i'm right there with you and he kind of came out of nowhere before this year we we talked about his linebacker class and how it was kind of weak Coming into the year, Dylan Moses gets hurt prior to the season. And then we're still kind of searching for that guy to be at the top. Kenneth Murray has really snatched kind of Dylan Moses' luster just because he hasn't played this year because of the torn ACL. So we talk about Kenneth Murray a lot. But then Zach Bond comes out of nowhere, and he's really having a breakout year. 
6'3", about 235 pounds. So he has that prototypical size that you're looking for. Now I'm interested to see exactly where teams are going to evaluate him as far as being a middle linebacker, more of a will or a strong side linebacker, just because I could, I think he can play all three just because of the instincts that he does show and just how well he reads his keys and then attacks downhill as well. So I think he's a guy we definitely could see rise as the year goes along, but he's having a fantastic year this well, and I'm sure he's going to get a senior bowl invite. I think it would be highway robbery if he's not invited to the event just because of the year that he has had. And I'm interested to dive more into his tape just because I didn't study him a whole bunch this summer just because he wasn't a notable name for the most part. So if you've never heard of him before, keep an eye on Zach Bond and just remember where you heard his name first. That is the Locked On College Football Podcast. So make sure to give us our credit when you start to talk about Zach Bond specifically. My man, Jonah Tools, the guy who was always on it with these new names that pop up. So keep an eye on Zach Bond. But the next game I want to get to is Auburn and LSU. This was a really, really intriguing game. There were stars yep. all over the field. Of course, we talk about Joe Burrow all the time, but his weapons on the perimeter are so good. Justin Jefferson shined in this game, of course. Jamar Chase, the fantastic freshman that we're going to talk about a lot in the coming years. And there were some other names as well. Kalevon Chason had some flashes in this game. Derek Brown on the opposite end of the spectrum, or the opposite end of the team, or the team, I should say, shined in this game as well. I think Auburn's defensive line is very talented as well. Marlon Davidson has had a really good year. Nick Cole has had a really nice bounce-back year as well. And then the defensive stars shined everywhere for LSU. Derek Stingley, we talk about him all the time. Grant Delpit, uh, at, before he suffered that ankle injury, he was shining a lot in this game as well. And like I said, there were stars all over the field in this game, but LSU ended up coming out on top 23 to 20. They are rolling this year and they are the new number one team in the country, according to the AP poll. So LSU is really weird to see them have a high powered offense this year, just because they've always been known for their ground and pound type of attack, but their passing game is really what's helping them this year, especially with the defense not playing as well this year. But I thought the defense shined in this game, but who were some players that stood out to you the most in this game? Yeah, I mean, we look at guys like Joe Burrow. I mean, it, and to, when you look at the LSU Auburn game, you see these top players play. You don't expect them to have huge games against you know top competition just because who are they playing against, right? So you're looking to see them check the boxes. And I think Burrow did just that. I think Derek Brown did just that. He's probably the two top players in this game. Um, and then Grant Delpit looked nice. But I really want to talk about a guy who's not even draft eligible. And you talked about him earlier, is Derek Stingley. Yeah. And it, honestly, he might be the second best non-quarterback in the country right now behind Chase Young. He's like, just, stud, pound, just pound for pound. This guy is a stud. I mean, I, I don't know if you saw us, but I mean, you probably did. He was on Twitter everywhere after a half. But he had a yeah. play on the ball where he legit like looked like Larry Fitzgerald. And it yep. was like he turned around and looked for it. And then it was amazing. This guy is a shutdown cornerback, and he's the best LSU cornerback to come out since Pat Peterson. And that's saying a lot because you've got guys like Tredavious White come out since then who's been an absolute stud and a Pro Bowl kind of player. Uh, I, I think Derek Stingley is going to be one of the best cornerback prospects we've seen come out of college in a long, long time. Yeah, and I'm right there with you. And this guy just continues to impress me week in and week out just because of what he's done in such short time. He is a true freshman. And you always see these freshmen hyped up every year coming into the year. But Stingley, he received so much hype, and it really seems kind of unsustainable, I should say, for him to reach that type of peak. 
But now he's he's surpassed it, in my opinion, just because of I believe he already has three interceptions so far this year. And there's probably going to be plenty more coming this way if teams do, still end up throwing the ball in his direction. But as far as his technique, I think it is well advanced. And I think it's already up there with Jeffrey Akuda, which is crazy to say just because Akuda is a junior and he's a true freshman. And if he was able to come out this year and be draft eligible, we could be having some top five to top ten talk about him. Easily. And that's crazy. That's Easily. crazy considering he is only 18 years old. So Derek Stingley, we're going to be huge fans of him, but he is not draft eligible for two more years. But you know I cannot exit this topic without talking about Joe Burrow, man. This guy continues to get better and better every single week. And I always say we're running out of excuses and well-but comments about him just because he continues to check all every box. He ended up 32 for 42 in this game, 321 yards. I believe it was a touchdown and one interception where he was just trying to take a chance down the field with the 50-50 ball. But after that interception, he was just terrific. And what I like to see the most is that he used his legs a bit more in this game than what we're normally seeing. He made some tough throws in the pocket, and he took some shots down the field as well. Even though he doesn't have the strongest arm in the world, but – he has terrific competitive fire, and that's what you love to see. He always felt in that game that he was the best player on the field in this game, and having that type of chippiness and competitive edge from the quarterback is exactly what you want. And the big showdown awaits in two weeks in Tuscaloosa. If he's able to go down there and perform well and even beat Alabama, I think the number one overall pick and the hype about that is definitely going to start, even though my mock draft already had him number one overall just because he's played so well this year. And we'll see what does end up happening with Tua Tagovailoa and even if he plays in this game. But all eyes are going to be in that on that game. There's going to be so many scouts in attendance. The whole world is going to be watching. But we're two weeks right. away from and, that. I, I can't remember the last non-bowl game or playoff game that had so much draft implications yeah. than this upcoming Alabama-LSU game. Joe Burrow, Tua Tagovailoa, it really seems to me like the winner of this game becomes the front runner for the number one overall pick. And I know yeah. that's hard to say because you know QB wins is a stat, whatever it is. But Burrow has played so well this year. He's really played himself from undraftable tape last year to number one overall pick. I have never seen this. I, mean, I know some people bring up Baker Mayfield become you know his junior to senior at Oklahoma, but that was different. May- Mayfield was getting day two consideration before that after his junior season. Burrow was not even on the draft radar coming into this season and now he's completely in the conversation for a top five top 10 pick now I'm really excited for this game I think it's gonna be the most impactful and significant non-playoff non-bowl game we've seen in college football in probably the last decade yeah and this game is going to be really interesting to me just because Joe Burrow and Tua Tagovailoa I can't talk Tua Tagovailoa (laughs) are going to be the most highly debated topic in this game. There's going to be some other prospects that have draft implications in this game as well. We talk about Grant Delpit and his tackling issues. We've talked about that a lot. And his draft stock, I don't want to say seems to be slipping, but you see him more in the top 10 to top 15 range more now as opposed to top 5 and top 10 like we saw coming into the year. And there are some injury concerns with him just because of the ankle. He seems to be a little bit banged up. And then the tackling issues that have been associated with him. But if he has a good performance in this game, I think we're going to start to see the top 10 talk start back up with him just right. because we know what he brings to the table. We know he's a special player. But some of the question marks that have arisen with him so far this year, they've kind of reared their ugly heads. And then now you add in 
the, the durability issues with him. So Grant Delpit is one guy that I definitely will be having an eye on. But another one is Raekwon Davis. I want to see him show up in this game just because I believe he's only recorded one and a half sacks this year or something along those lines. And we really haven't seen him return to that sophomore form exactly. that we were accustomed to seeing. And I just want to see that player be able to take over this game and have some type of impact and be able to flash. Now with Alabama's defense, they're really not going to have these high total number type of sack artists or anything like that, just because that's not really what Nick Saban asked them to do. But I want to see him stand out and flash on some plays in some type of form in this game just because I think it could end up being a first-round selection, but I think his stock is kind of taking taking a hit week by week just because he really hasn't flashed as much as you would have liked since that South Carolina game. So who are some other guys that you really may be having an eye on in this Alabama and LSU game? I know we're a couple weeks away, but I want to kind of give a little preview just because we are so excited about it. I got to tell you, I'm chomping at the bit for this game. And I got to tell you why. It's because it's best against best. And you know me. I'm a defensive backs and wide receivers guy. <laughs> of course. And this is literally the best of the best. Alabama's three wide receivers against LSU's three DBs. I got to tell you, that, that is pound for pound the best matchup of the year. You know, Joe Burrow and Tiger, Tua Tagovailo, we talk about them as the big duel. I mean, they're not playing against each They're not, you know, going up against each other, you know, when they have the ball. It's these wide receivers and DBs. Jerry Judy going up against Christian Fulton. Henry Ruggs going up against Derek Stingley. I mean, you got Grant Delpit in the slot. This is going to be so fun to watch. And then on the other side of the ball, let's not forget about these guys. Jamar Chase going up against Trayvon Diggs. You got, uh, you got Justin Jefferson going against Patrick Sertain. I mean, this is going to be so fun to watch. I can't wait for this. I think this is, this is going to be, like I said earlier, the most impactful game we've seen in college football that's not a playoff game or a bowl game that we've seen in the last decade well loyal listeners as you can tell we are already excited about the alabama lsu matchup but we have to get back on track with the last game and the last topic that we'll get to in today's episode and that is oklahoma suffering a shocking upset to kansas state and kansas state really dominated this game throughout and that was i think that was the most surprising part about this entire game. Jalen Hurts, he did struggle. CeeDee Lamb had some outstanding catches in this game, and he really stood out just like he does on a week-to-week basis. But I thought Kansas State really controlled this game throughout, and I think that was the biggest shocker just because Oklahoma has such a high-powered offense, and there was always a sense that they could catch up. But once the game got out of reach and Kansas State took a 21-point lead in the third quarter, they kind of went on cruise control, and Oklahoma – they came back a little bit late, but they ended up winning this game. Kansas State ended up winning this game 48-41, to but they dominated the game, in my opinion. But what were some of the most shocking elements or some prospects that you that really stood out to most the most to you in this game? Yeah, I mean, we talk about Kenneth Murray a lot. He's my guy. This guy is one of my guys. I know he's one of your guys, too. We love him. I think he's the most improved player from 2018 to 2019. But in this game against Kansas State, he reverted back to old Kenneth Murray. Yeah. The old Kenneth Murray of 2018, where he started jumping and trying to guess the backfield of action instead of trusting his keys and playing off of instincts. I think he tried to rely too much on his athleticism. He took himself out of position unnecessarily on multiple times and multiple occasions. It led to multiple breakdowns and truly a big day on the ground for Kansas State. I think three or four runners on Kansas State had over 60, 70 rushing yards. And to me, Murray, this is a game where Murray really needed to step up, and he really just wasn't there. We didn't see the guy we've seen the past several games uh, from Murray. So I really want to see him bounce back. But 
it was just really disappointing to see him revert back to his old ways. But that doesn't take away from the body of work he's put up this year. He's st- I still love Kenneth Murray. He's still one of my pet cats for the year. But this is a game I think where it's a, more of a head scratcher, more of an anomaly in the season than what is more of the norm. Uh, I, 2019 has been a great year for him, but, but this was not one of them. I'm right there with you. And I think the guy we saw against Kansas State is exactly the person we saw in 2018. Exactly. And like you mentioned, he reverted back to his old self. And I don't want to say he regressed back to the mean, but he showed some of those signs that we saw of that player that we saw from a year ago. And hopefully we don't see that guy for the rest of the year, just because I'm a big fan of this new and improved Kenneth Murray. But we just saw him. His eyes were all over the place. He was going with play actions and just biting on too much. And he became of a guesser as opposed to trusting his instincts right. and his read keys, as you mentioned. So hopefully he can get back on track uh, next week. And we're really interested to see exactly if he can turn back to that guy that we've been seeing for the most part this year. Just because I had him in the first round to my mock draft to the New Orleans Saints. Just because I think he's made that much of an improvement this year. And I think he could end up being a day one prospect if he continues to show what we saw prior to that Kansas State game. So keep an eye on Kenneth Murray. Also, keep an eye on Oklahoma the rest of the year, even though they are the 10th-ranked team in the country now. We could see some more upsets throughout the year just because you never know with college football. And then on our next episode, we're going to get into some of our previews of the week. I don't want to spoil any of the matchups right now, but we are going to discuss plenty of them. But, of course, that is a wrap for our show today. Once again, thank you guys, as always, for listening. I am Jordan Reed. He is Jonah Tools. Make sure to describe or describe, make sure to subscribe <laughs> to the, the Locked On College Football Podcast. Once again, thank you for listening. Leave a five-star review, and thanks as always.